0: Tens of thousands of unemployed Oregonians are spending a lot of time on their phones right now, but this isn't mindless scrolling. These Oregonians are waiting, and waiting, and waiting, on hold, trying to get through to the state employment department. I'm Andrew Fien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. This weekend, the state added yet another tally to that still-growing unemployment figure. Governor Kate Brown fired Kay Erickson, the state's employment director, on Sunday. Brown asked for Erickson's resignation after more than a month of virtual silence on the turmoil at the department, which was overseeing record unemployment backlogs. The Oregonian and Oregon Live's Mike Rogaway, has chronicled this crisis for months now. I spoke with Mike twice in the span of a few days about this crisis both times before Erickson was fired the issues are still the same ragaway details the persistent woes at the state's employment department including those absurdly long waiting times the incredible backlog in payments and until just a few days ago what had essentially been silence from the governor and state employment department leaders we talked about this crisis how the great recession played into these failures and what other states are doing differently We spoke on Saturday afternoon, moments after Erickson testified before a state legislative committee for the second time in the span of a few days, and immediately after Senator Ron Wyden had called for her firing. Mike, it has been... Probably the most eventful few months in the history of the Oregon Employment Department, and that stretched into the weekend. Um, what was this emergency uh, legislative hearing like on Saturday? Uh, you listened to it. Um, the employment director, Kay Erickson, um, went before lawmakers, and this time she took questions, unlike uh, the first effort a few days ago.
1: Right. Lawmakers from both parties were unhappy with how things went on Wednesday, when there was a long sort of presentation about the history of the employment benefits program, but not not an opportunity to ask questions or make comments. Mm-hmm. So they summoned her and her deputy uh, back for three hours today. And I, the, the hearing was very respectful, but lawmakers from both parties were definitely unhappy. They want a concrete plan for taking action. The committee chairman said he wants to have to set a, a, a one week deadline for getting everyone contacted and it's it's not clear how many people the, the department has two hundred thousand unpaid claims, not all of those are money it owes right but on um, some people may may legitimately not have um, not be owed that money. in fact, many of them may not be, but then there's tens or, or maybe a hundred thousand or more others who are eligible for another class of payments, and the state really doesn't know how many those are. And so what the committee wanted today was some certainty. They want to understand the parameters of the situation, and they want a deadline for communicating to everyone the state of their claims.
0: And before Kay Erickson uh, sat down uh, at her computer to, to face these questions, we kind of had a rem- remarkable moment um, that we don't have a lot here in uh, Democratic control, largely Oregon. Um, Senator Ron Wyden um, called for her to step down yeah, the de- uh, in pretty forceful yes. terms. Um,
1: uh, Senator Wyden's staff tells me, as far as they know, this is the first time he's ever called for a state official to resign. He was... Quite blunt in his language, he said that, simply put, this litany of incompetence and unresponsiveness has hit the breaking point. And he wants her out. Now, only one lawmaker from either party, and it it happened to be a Democrat, repeated that call today uh, during the hearing. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was generally sympathetic, but wants steps taken to address this. Uh, Jeff Barker is a Democrat from Aloha. Told Kay Erickson, you, you've been overwhelmed. Maybe somebody else needs to take over leadership of that department and try and get it up and running. It's been a couple months. Things need to be rolling. Uh, the Republicans did not say that say that Erickson should go. They they were actually aiming higher. They thought that there's sort of been a systemic lack of oversight and preparedness. And as you recall, you know that. The computer systems that the state employment department runs on are from, two, from the nineteen nineties. The state has had funding to upgrade them since two thousand nine. Through a successive succession of governors, there has been very little action on that. The upgrade is now in place, but in process, but it won't be in place for until twenty twenty five. So, to Republicans, this looks like a systemic failure. Um, to Democrats, it, it maybe is more about the circumstances of the pandemic and the current leadership.
0: Okay. Um, and what, if anything, do we know about the waiting week? Um, uh, which Oregon has said previously that they would waive. Uh, this is the week that you, uh, don't receive benefits when you first file. Um, you know, that's a week of no, Um, no benefit as well as no um, federal uh, $600 stimulus uh, for those unemployed or underemployed Oregonians. What more do we know about that uh, as we talk on Saturday? And was that a conversation topic during the hearing?
1: It was not a topic during the hearing, surprisingly, but it was during uh, Kay Erickson had a press call yesterday, her first press availability in more than a month and a half. First time I've ever had the opportunity to talk to her. She's been refusing my interview requests for many weeks. Uh, And I pressed her on that. Now, to be clear, um, you know, ordinarily with this waiting week, you don't get paid, but Congress has, until you've been unemployed for a week, in your second week, you're then eligible for benefits. Uh, I pressed Erickson, are we going to get that resolved and when? There's essentially a December 31st federal deadline to get that resolved. And the state says it'll take 4,000 hours of computer programming. If we don't meet that deadline, Oregon doesn't get that money. That's several hundred. Do- it's at least a few hundred million dollars for the state and several hundred dollars per laid-off Oregonian uh, during that period. And Erickson would not commit to me to doing that. She said they will try, but they said they have many priorities. Now, the governor said, tweeted this morning that You know, Oregon families are counting on unemployment benefits they've earned. That includes fixing our computer system and providing waiting week benefits. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like she's committing to do that. This is a lot of work that has to be done, and it hasn't really started yet. So, you know, what I want to know is if the state is going to do it, how will it do it?
0: So this went from an issue that was obviously extremely important to hundreds of thousands of Oregon families, but wasn't really... um, at the center of lawmakers' minds, at least uh, in Salem. Uh, in the span of a, a few days now, it's, it appears to be very much a, a, a cornerstone issue here.
1: Yeah, I think there's no doubt. Uh, Wyden's uh, resignation call this morning definitely uh, definitely brought that to the, the top. I, and I think lawmakers generally have been getting more and more concerned about this. They're hearing from their constituents, some of them describe you know, getting call volumes that are similar to what the employment department is getting over this because people can't reach the employment department. So they turn to their lawmaker and say, what can we do? And this was a, a point that came up a number of times in today's hearing. Are there ways that they could work through the legislature to help people if they can't get through to the employment department? There wasn't a concrete plan for that, but it sounds like there may be some efforts in that direction to make the legislature another point of contact for laid off workers.
0: Another, another phone number to call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Mike, thanks for covering all the twists and turns on this.
1: Yes, of course, Andrew.
0: Now, here's part of my first conversation with Mike Rogaway. This was recorded Thursday morning. On Sunday, Governor Brown fired Kate Erickson and appointed her deputy, David Gerstenfeld, as interim director. We discussed Erickson's background and how she got the job.
1: This is a complicated situation, but you have regular unemployment benefits, and the 200,000 unpaid benefits are those regular beneficiaries. But during the pandemic, Congress has expanded to make self-employed workers and contractors, gig workers. These are everyone from people who own their own little shop to Uber drivers People like that, Mm -hmm. they are also now eligible for benefits. Now, the state has not said how many of those benefits have been paid, how many applications it has received, and how many have gone unpaid. But the sense is that it's a very large number. It's certainly in the thousands and it could be in the many thousands. So the 200,000 number probably severely understates the number of unpaid claims to this point. So, of course, going without benefits during the pandemic, is quite a strain on many households. The state has said again and again that it will eventually pay all the claims it owes, but you know it's a, it's a long waiting period right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So people are frustrated. The Employment Department did acknowledge that. Kay Erickson, who has refused to speak to us throughout the pandemic, did apologize at the beginning of the hearing and said she knows that thousands of people are waiting. But she took no questions.
0: Well, you mentioned Kay Erickson, and the whole state at this point probably knows the name of you know what are usually anonymous bureaucrats, <laughs> the state health officials like Oregon Health Authority Director Pat Allen, or the state epidemiologist Dean uh, Seidlinger, but the director of the State Employment Department is, is not a whole household name. Who is Kay Erickson?
1: So she has some background in the private sector, but she has been a state official uh, in the state bureaucracy for many years. She was a, helped run the budget before this. As our former colleague Rich Reed and current colleague Molly Young had reported in 2013, the employment department had a succession of problems coming out of the Great Recession, management problems, administration problems. Mm-hmm. So shortly after Kate Brown became governor, she appointed Kay Erickson to be head of the department in 2016. Erickson has run it since then and you know up until now it's been a low profile department it hasn't had much work to do <laughs> employment claims have been unemployment claims have been falling and falling and falling it was the healthiest stretch perhaps in the history of Oregon's labor market our unemployment rate was 3.5% going into the pandemic that was a historic mm-hmm. low it was just just off the bottom of the all time low of 3.3% and then in April, it shot up to 14.2%, which is the highest point on record. So the department has gone from a kind of anonymous agency without much to do to one of the most important agencies in the state. And it has really struggled to make that transition.
0: How many times have you asked for uh, an interview with Kay Erickson?
1: Uh, I ask a few times a week, and it's been several weeks. So I would say, you know, it's probably a dozen (laughs) uh, times.
0: Is this unusual in your experience Mike uh, as a reporter to, to not have you know the top dog so to speak answer during a crisis like this
1: it's hard for me to say i I, I don't cover state government usually I'm a business reporter and so mm-hmm. I don't usually I'm not usually connected with people uh, in sort of the mid to upper levels of the state bureaucracy so I can't really say for sure certainly in the private sector the experience varies widely sometimes CEOs Are quite accessible, but in cases like Intel and Nike, uh, we have never spoken to the CEO of either company, and they're, you know, the two big companies in Oregon. So it's not unusual for private companies to sometimes not be accessible. I I will say, you know, we've heard from the congressional delegation, we've heard from state lawmakers, there's increasing unrest among political leaders, as well as a great deal of unhappiness among the unemployed Oregonians about how the situation's being handled.
0: No, no doubt. Um, what's your inbox like, uh, you know, on a daily or, or weekly basis? Because you've been reporting on um, the systemic issues this department has faced and hearing from those tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, um, maybe not all of them are emailing you, but you're hearing from a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I, I hear from many every day. It's, it's, it, some days it's like the stock ticker uh, you know at, uh, at the bottom of the TV screen on the, the news channels it just you know they just come flowing in because there there's so many people who are, are concerned about this and are in tough situations you know I, I will say generally speaking most people seem to have a little cushion it, financially most people that I'm hearing from but they're concerned mm-hmm. what what's got them unhappy is the uncertainty. You know, they say, okay, you know, I can make it another few weeks without payments. But what happens after that? And they cannot reach the employment department to find out the status of their claims, to find out where the error is. They don't know if there's some, some technicality that disqualifies them for benefits or if it's an administrative snafu. And they can't, they can't find an answer to that. And that's what's causing a lot of anxiety for people.
0: What's the longest hold time y- you've heard from one of these workers?
1: People routinely spend several hours a day. I, you know I, I heard from two people this week who had spent more than eight hours on hold, but I've, I've heard of as many as 10. Now, I'll give you some some stats. you know that the vast majority of calls never get through. If you try to call the, the employment department, you'll just get a busy signal. I don't know if it's nine times out of 10, 99 out of a hundred. People tell me they've called several hundred times without getting through. And, you know, on a smartphone, you can just keep hitting redial. But of those who get through, the average hold time is three hours. But most of those people who get through and are on hold never actually connect at all. Somewhere between half and two-thirds of the calls, depending on the day, are disconnected before anyone ever reaches somebody at the call center. So it's a struggle to get through. When you get through, you're waiting for an average of three hours, and then most of the time you're hung up on. So this is, this is an extraordinary situation. It, it, it's, it's actually, again, as bad as that may sound, Andrew, it's actually worse than that because there are no phone lines set up to take the new claims from the, the self-employed gig workers, contractors. Those folks don't right. have that phone option for them. Many of them are calling anyway, but then they can't get help when they get through. But there is no phone line set up for them at this point. And so it's just enormous exasperation out there.
0: So again, the average time, which is not necessarily going to be a successful call, is sitting down, turning on your TV, watching Avengers Endgame, and still being on the phone. Right,
1: right. But then at the end of that, most of the time, you you don't reach anybody even spending all that time on hold.
0: And these people aren't gluttons for self-punishment or they don't hate themselves. This is um, (laughs) what the state says is the best method to have your claim resolved, right? That's right. So,
1: uh, you know, Kay Erickson has not responded to me at all, but she did at the prompting of the governor's office respond to our colleague on the editorial board, Helen Jung, uh, late last week. And Helen pressed her on this question, and she said, Yes, the best option right now is calling in. Now, the department has started to take some steps. They've begun acknowledging that this isn't working, (laughs) and they have begun taking some steps to proactively call people back. They have taken some of their most experienced claims processors off of the phone banks and had them start working on claims. And my understanding is they are proactively reaching out to people. To call them, to try and try and address problematic claims. And uh, last weekend, they sent emails and robocalls to people, these self-employed workers. It's a, a category called PUA or Pandemic Unemployment Assistance. Hmm. Uh, they started, They sent those folks robocalls and emails to let them know that their claims, in fact, have been received. Uh, they haven't been processed yet, necessarily, but they have been received, and so at least people now know that that is coming in and before you know they they weren't getting acknowledgments of that in many cases and that was that was concerning to those people and prompted them to call to see if they could find out what the status of their claims was
0: and we know how that went yes it's just
1: just overloading the phone some more i'm afraid
0: I think many Oregonians, even um, many of the unemployed, as you mentioned, may be willing to give the state a pass for dealing with this during a pandemic. But that patience is likely wearing extremely thin at this point. But remind us, how did things get so bad? Well, you know, we've got to go back in time.
1: We had similar issues during the Great Recession. Many states did and many states do right now. And so at the end of that period, in 2009, the federal government allocated money for states to update their unemployment claim systems. In the 2000s, many states were running antiquated systems that weren't able to Mm -hmm. handle the influx of claims that came along with the Great Recession uh, or adjustments in the claims and benefits program. So the federal government allocated some money, and Oregon got close to $86 million for that. For complicated reasons, some having to do with leadership, some having to do with state priorities, and some having to do with safeguards over how that money is spent, the money that was allocated in 2009 is mostly still there. The state has not upgraded its claims processing technology. So it's still using system from the 90s, but with components that go back to the Reagan administration. So that's fundamentally what's created this issue that beyond the high volume of claims is that the state had audits. We mentioned earlier Molly Young and Rich Reed had reported issues with the in the department. The states had audits of the employment department that said its computers just can't handle even normal volumes of claims. People have to go in and manually make changes to fix things because they're issuing erroneous denials. So that's, that was bad in normal times. But in an extraordinary time, when you have 400,000 claims coming in, it has completely overwhelmed the system. And so the state is having to fix many things manually. And that is fundamentally at the root of this. The, the technology upgrade that was funded in 2009 won't be complete until 2025,
0: public sector technology woes are not a new thing. I mean, you think of uh, the Oracle and the uh, Obamacare program in Oregon being a complete debacle. But, you know, that timeline, I think, is really aggravating for anyone who who sees that. You you think of a decade, uh, a lot can happen in a decade.
1: So what Senator Betsy Johnson says is that there's just simply a lack of urgency in the employment department. I think there's a good argument for that, that people were... Not, you know, really on the horse about getting this done, and it, you know, it didn't need to be done. When unemployment claims were at a historic low, you could handle them manually. If you know, if you're just getting, you know, a few thousand claims a week, mm-hmm. um, and a, a relatively small percentage of those require manual fixes, you can do that with the hundred or so claims processors that the state had at the time. The state has. Now added, you know, several hundred. It's up to seven hundred claims processors, I believe, right now, and it's opened a new claims processing center in Wilsonville. But even even increasing that sevenfold has not been enough.
0: You know, I was I was one of those unemployed Oregonians during the Great Recession, and I also got a public sector job at the uh, state Department of Human Services, and and kind of saw firsthand what the computer system was like for uh, self-sufficiency offices responsible for food stamps and um, TANF uh, for needy families. And I was absolutely shocked, Mike. I mean, it was uh, this is computer technology you you would think would be used to send Sputnik into space. I mean, it honestly um, could not have been more archaic and difficult to understand. And You know, I'm a young person who's good with computers. It's been part of my whole life, but I've never seen anything like it. Have you ever seen this system that the employment department is is using? I have seen some
1: internal emails with screenshots from the system. And like you, you know, I have experience with a system like this. We ran a, a similar system at a health insurer I worked at in Seattle in 1994 and 1995. And, you know, it was efficient. In the early '90s, but we weren't asking it to do very much. You know, it worked for processing health insurance claims, and that's what I was doing then. And it was, it was pretty straightforward. I think there is something to be said for this system is built on COBOL. It's an antiquated, but maybe not quite obsolete programming language that mm. is fairly sturdy and robust. And there is something to be said for that. And I think the state has argued, the employment department has argued that its system, in some ways, serves it well. And I, I think. That may be so, but it's just not nimble. It's just not flexible. And this is a time we need it to be as a state. And that, that ship has in some ways sailed. It's too late to dig out of the hole for this case. I think the, the issue people are having has been the lack of proactive communication from the department about what's going on and the status of each individual claim. We had an article earlier this week about what other states have done. And it's all over the map. Some, like Florida, it's been an absolute catastrophe. It's much, much worse than in Oregon, in part because the state is larger, in part because of decisions they made Mm -hmm. consciously there to underfund the employment benefits system. But other states, like Vermont, were on this from the beginning and worked very hard to, you know, yeah, they faced a backlog, and then they just started issuing payments to people. The federal law doesn't allow them to do that, so it could end up coming out of state coffers, I imagine. But they said, if you've been backlogged, here, just here's some money, uh, and then we'll work out later you know, whether we paid you too much or shouldn't have paid you at all. Oregon has not done anything dramatic like that and has been really slow about making decisions. So here, Here's a, a good example. So in ordinary times, if you're laid off, you file for unemployment benefits. You don't get paid for that first week. You have to be out of work for a week before you're eligible for money to start coming in. Well, Congress said, you you get money for that first week now. It doesn't mean the money comes that first week. It takes some time to process your claim, but you'll get that money for the first week. Uh, and we, Congress, are paying for that. So the states don't have to. Well, most states said, great, free money for our workers. We're on it. But Oregon said, no, we are not going to waive the waiting week. It's too complicated technically for our computers to do. And when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people being out of work, missing a week of payments, that adds up to hundreds of millions of dollars in lost payments for Oregon workers. So the congressional delegation made a lot of noise and said, this is a big mistake. We as Congress funded this for the states. Oregon has to get on it. And so finally, Governor Brown responded and said, yes, I will waive the waiting week. But she set no timetable for doing that. And it hasn't happened yet. And she, she issued no public announcement of her decision to do that. You know, right. we, we got a copy of the letter she sent to Congress, but she did not announce it publicly. We only knew it because we were able to, through sourcing, get a copy of that letter. And it hasn't happened yet. And the state has not said when it will. And so that, those are backlog payments for everybody who's been paid. Uh, and that already adds up to well over $100 million in money, this federal money, the state owes its laid off workers.
0: In addition to the, the yep. weekly benefit yep. that they would be owed as well. Right,
1: right. Um, so, you know, if, if you or I get laid off tomorrow, we would be eligible for benefits the first week of unemployment. But when we would actually get paid for that first week, even if our claims processing goes well, that's all really highly uncertain.
0: Well, let's take a break and then talk a little bit more with Mike Rogaway. Okay, Mike, uh, you mentioned a little bit about Florida and some other states, but what about our Northwest neighbor, uh, you know, one of the epicenters of uh, COVID-19 outbreak here in the states? What's going on in Washington? How are they handling uh, unemployment claims?
1: So Washington has been an interesting case because it has had an enormous amount of fraud, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars in fraud. And other states have been hit by that too. This reporting comes from the New York Times and Seattle Times. I haven't reported it myself. But their employment department has acknowledged to the legislature that it's been hit with a a big problem. And these appear to be scams, according to the New York Times, that are being run overseas. And they Mm. essentially are stealing the identities of workers in Washington state, filing as if those workers have been laid off, which they may not have been. In fact, I think in most cases, they have not been. And then they give a bank account to which those those benefits should be paid. And then it goes in there and it disappears. It's gone. Oregon says it has not had similar problems yet, but warns that if if those do emerge, it could further slow down claims processing. Now, the department has not told me this officially, but people I know inside the department have suggested to me that one thing that is working in Oregon's favor around fraud is that generally the first checks that go out in Oregon, the first payments that go out in Oregon don't go out as direct deposit. They go out as a physical check to a physical address. And so, if we were sending you know thousands and thousands of checks to Nigeria, probably somebody would notice so fraud at scale works well with direct deposit. It doesn't work as well with a mail check to an individual address. You could have individual cases of fraud, but it would be hard to engineer on the state on the scale of what Washington has experienced.
0: So in in some ways in some ways we're aided by the slowness. Yeah, of, and I, <laughs> of, I, I I don't think the... it's
1: necessary. I, I, I'm sure that's true that if you were a, a a fraudster, you would not necessarily target Oregon because of the delays and issues we've had. But I, I think I'm not necessarily. I don't know what has gone into the decision between behind issuing paper checks for those first payments. But it it doesn't seem to me that that's if you can get those checks out promptly it doesn't seem and which in ordinary times you know you shouldn't have any trouble doing it's not like you're be you know we were sending out no more than a few thousand new checks each week you know in the la- over the last few years it doesn't seem to me that that represents a big hurdle to getting funny in people's hands you know it's two days through the mail system uh so i don't know if that was a conscious decision if that was or if that was a result of our computer system and how it operated. But it does seem to have, at least according to sources inside the department, it does seem to have protected Oregon from from large-scale
0: fraud like Washington experienced. You mentioned Governor Brown hasn't really made a lot of public comments on this as well. Uh, do you get a sense of why this isn't a priority for her? No,
1: I, I, re- I really don't have a clear idea of what's going on in the governor's office on this. We submitted public records requests. Um, the department has said, the, the state has said it will take 80, we asked for communication between the governor and two of her staffers with Kay Erickson, the head of the employment department. The, employee, the state said it will cost, uh, I believe it was $1,400 and something, you know, like 80 hours of an IT person's time to fulfill that request. We, we can't understand why that would be email is very easy to search. I think it wouldn't take more than a few minutes you know, our, our editor, Therese Bottomley, said we, we will pay that if that's what it takes. And so we want to see the communication that's going on inside the state, but we don't have a read on that right now. It, it could just be a matter, Andrew, of this being one of many fires the state is trying to put out right now. You know, we have a public health crisis, we have a broad economic crisis, uh, and we have this crisis at the employment department it is one of many things that the state is having to to navigate right now. And it could just be in terms of triage, that this hasn't risen to the very top right now.
0: Just a flesh wound. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Uh, Well, thanks for your uh, amazing reporting on this, Uh, you and uh, our colleague, Hilary Baroud, who uh, really put a finer point on the systemic technological issues and uh, political decisions that led this computer system to kind of sit unfixed for years. um, And meanwhile, people are still waiting.
1: Yeah it is an extraordinary situation. It is one of many extraordinary situations. Andrew, I I think before we go, there's one thing I should make clear that while it appears that hundreds of thousands of claims have gone unpaid, most claims do seem to go through promptly. So I I wouldn't say that people shouldn't file. I I think you should if you think you're eligible for benefits. I think most of the time it will work smoothly. But many times it won't and so I wouldn't, dissu- I wouldn't want anyone to be dissuaded from, from pursuing what you're owed you know the state collects unemployment insurance, Congress has funded the expansions here these are things that, mm-hmm. to which people are legally entitled I would not want to dissuade anyone from pursuing them and the state says everyone will get what they're owed eventually so you know we'll keep working on, on the story and, and you know making sure that happens.
0: Well thanks for uh, explaining it to us
1: Yeah, always good talking to you, Andrew.
0: Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in iTunes. It helps others find the program. And please check out our other great podcasts, Peak Northwest featuring Jamie Hale and Jim Ryan, Oregon Lives with Tom Hallman and Samantha Swindler, and our newest show from reporter Lizzie Acker, At Home with the Oregonian. You can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time.